We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. I want us to talk about a subject that is in many ways a subject that many, many people have questions about. And as you talk to people about the Bible, there are going to be many, many questions that they will have that relate to human suffering. And they're going to want to know, what does the Bible have to say? And for those who are hurting and suffering and who are in the throes of trouble, they want to know, what does God have to say about this subject? And so tonight we're going to be talking about the Bible and human suffering. And we're going to begin this question by, this series of questions by first and foremost asking probably one of the most profound questions that has ever been asked. And many, many people have asked this question. And as you talk to people about the Bible, there are many folks that are going to want to know why do people suffer? And why is there so much heartache and trouble and trial in this world? And so we begin tonight by first and foremost asking this question, why do people suffer? In the passage that was read a moment ago, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And Job here tells us that if you live long enough on planet earth, you're going to experience some troubles in life. And I don't know of anybody more qualified to talk about trouble than Job. Job, as you well know, experienced a wide range of difficulties and trials in his life. And Job did not escape life unscathed. And I would submit to you tonight that in all probability, neither will we. So, why do people suffer? The answer to this question really takes us back to the very beginning of time, doesn't it? You remember in Genesis chapter 1, we are introduced to the thought, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verses 26 and 27, it was God who made man in his own image and likeness. We have been made in the image and the likeness of God. God is said to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, the father of our spirits. And so we, we as members of the human family, have an eternal dimension to us. There is the outward man and also the inward man. So as we go back to Genesis chapter 2, God is the one that, having created man, said that he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. In chapter 3, you well know, the Bible tells us that the serpent came on the scene. And as a result of his interrogation of Mother Eve, she succumbed, didn't she? Not only did she succumb to the devil, but Adam likewise ate. As a result of that, sin made its inception, entrance into the world. Now God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. And man did begin to die, didn't he? Man died spiritually. And because of that spiritual death, God began unveiling the promised seed of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. An announcement was made that 
The seed of woman would bring forth the Christ, the Messiah. And so bit by bit and piece by piece, the Old Testament prophets began talking about and laying out the work of God's anointed, that being the Christ. So man died spiritually, but also physical death made its inception into the world, didn't it? And as you look at Genesis chapter 3, as we would say from time to time, the door was opened to sin and to suffering and sorrow and shame and guilt and ultimately death. And as, been, and as has been said in many, many contexts by many, many people, the rest was history. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So go back to the Garden of Eden and we ask the question, why do people suffer? People in our world today suffer because of sin and the consequences of sinful conduct. If anything, there has only been a proliferation of human misery and suffering since the garden, hasn't there? Paul in Romans chapter 8 will talk about how the whole creation groans and travails in birth pangs until now. So the world in which we live has been immersed in human suffering and sadly, it is a reality. Now we talk about death and death being a byproduct of sin in the garden. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 56 speaks to the sting of death. Death has stalked the human family since the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 5, an expression is made by Moses in the long ago that really sums up the lot of man. And here it is, and he died. Every person on planet earth will ultimately walk the corridor of death unless Jesus comes first. Do you remember the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27? when he said, it is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. And so sin is the reason why people suffer. And then, by the way, I would also point out in Genesis chapter 5, when God decreed to destroy the world by means of a flood, the flood ravaged the world as we know it. And the globe upon which the human family has inhabited all these years that being the earth. As Moses talks about that great flood, and we have a record of it, this earth changed dramatically as a result of that. And why did God destroy the world by means of a flood? Do you remember? Because of sin. So sin has wrecked human, fam has wrecked human misery uh, down through the ages. Now there's a second question we want to deal with. Is it wrong to be angry with God for human suffering? Many of us have probably known people down through, down through time that in light of some human tragedy, because of some malady, they have literally shaken their fist in the face of God. And some have been very angry at God. It may be the case that you're here tonight 
And there was a circumstance or situation in your life in which because of the toil that it took upon you physically or mentally or emotionally, you became angry with God. Is it wrong for us to be angry with God when we suffer? I would answer that by saying God is not the reason why we suffer. When we become angry at God, when we shake our fist in the face of God because of what's going on in our life, in our world, we're really shaking our fist in the face of the wrong person, aren't we? God didn't cause the misery and the heartache and the trial and the tribulations so common to man. God was not the author of human suffering, but rather the devil is. Listen, the devil is the cause for all of this. If you want to lay the blame on somebody for all of the miseries and all of the heartache and all of the human suffering that we've experienced, lay it at the feet of the one responsible for all of it. And that was the devil. Do you remember in the book of Job in chapters 1 and 2 when Job was assaulted by the devil? Now understand God allowed that to happen. Do you think that the devil cared about Job? Do you think he was concerned about his plight? Do you think it bothered him to bury 10 children, to lose his wealth, to lose his health? Do you think that really mattered to the devil? No. In John chapter 8, in verse 44, Jesus talked about the devil. And Jesus said, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. The devil is the one responsible for human death. Now I understand that the human family, the first couple, they yielded to temptation. They made the choice to sin. But ultimately the devil was the one that tempted them, didn't he? He was the one that deceived or beguiled them. And Jesus identified the devil as a murderer and a liar. And he said he abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh, speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So I would encourage all of us when we face trial and tribulation in life, when we are hurting and, and we are hurting to our core, to remember God's not responsible for all, all of that. I mentioned Job a minute ago. In Job chapter 2, you remember in verses 9 and 10 after Job had lost his children, his wealth, his health, do you remember what his wife said to him? She asked him, do you still retain your integrity? And then what did she say? Curse God and die. Do you think it's possible that Mrs. Job was angry with God? You think it's possible that as a result of what had happened to Job, and listen, what happened to Job affected her, didn't it? Is it possible that she was angry with God and that her faith took a hit? Because listen to what she said, curse God and die. And what did Job say? He said, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we not accept good at the hand of God? Shall we not accept adversity? And the Bible says, in all this, Job, sin not. 
Look, I get it. When we're hurting and the wheels have come off in life and nothing seems to be going right, I get it that we're looking for somebody to blame. But don't blame God. And don't get angry with God. Look, if anything, God is, God is your ally. He's not your adversary. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion. Look, the devil is intent on destroying us. I can't imagine bearing 10 children. And we talk about cause and effect. Now, sometimes people are angry with the wrong party. They're angry with God. When Job and Mrs. Job buried those 10 children, do you think, do you think the Lord was moved to sympathy over that terrible ordeal? Do you think God was there to comfort? Do you think God recognized the depth of their hurt? What about the devil? I can just see the devil. Got him. Got him. No compassion. No care. No concern. If anything, absolute delight. Third question. Does the Lord care when we hurt in life? If you were to ask the devil that question, you know what he would say? He didn't care. He didn't care about you. But what I want to share with you tonight is the Lord does care. And the Lord cares greatly. What was our memory verse last week? Do you remember? Ephesians 1, 7. Can you quote it? In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. All right, look, we've got to be busy studying our Bible. The Bible verse for this week, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. And really, that's a summation of what we're talking about tonight. The Lord cares, and he cares, listen, he cares for you. That's personal, isn't it? Not only is it personal, but it's profound to think that there is a God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth, and he cares about you individually. Jesus said, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing about it. In light of that, you know what he said? Are you not of more value than they? Yes, you are. And God cares about you. In 2 Kings chapter 20, when Isaiah the prophet was summoned to go and to talk to Hezekiah, the king of Israel, God told him, you tell Hezekiah, set your house in order for you will die and not live. And do you remember what Hezekiah did? The Bible says he turned his face to the wall and prayed. And what did God say to the prophet? God said, speaking of Hezekiah, I have seen your tears. I have heard your prayer. And God added 15 years to his life. God cares about us when we suffer. Let me just share with you a passage, I think a great, great passage from the Psalms. Look at Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, here's what the psalmist said in the long ago. Verse 6, in my distress I called upon the Lord, cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple. 
And my cry came before him, even to his ears. God cares, doesn't he? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that God is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. God has the ability to sympathize with us. The Lord has the ability to empathize, to feel with us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Hebrew writer said, We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The Lord has the ability, He has the ability to empathize with us. He understands. And it may be the case that nobody on planet Earth understands what we're going through. It might be that family members don't understand the depth to which we're suffering. Maybe not even our own, our own mate. But the Lord understands and he feels our pain. In Psalm 56, David in the long ago said to God, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Imagine if you can, God taking a bottle and taking your tears and putting those tears into that bottle. Look, God cares. And that's seen over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. There are some that have the idea that God is unmoved and unconcerned about the human family. Some have said that God created the world but then just walked away, left us on our own. I don't believe that for a minute, do you? God is intricately involved in the affairs of this world. As a matter of fact, in the affairs of life. I mentioned a moment ago, Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus said, look, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our heavenly Father knowing about it. In Psalm 139, read about the omniscient God. The psalmist said, there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. God is in tune to our pain and suffering. There's a fourth question that we want to look at in our study tonight. And the question is this, what is the value of human suffering? What is the value of human suffering? Now, sometimes when we are in the middle of heartache and we're hurting to our core, it's hard to think about profiting from those tough times. But I do believe that when it's all said and done, when the smoke clears, as we say sometimes, that we can look retrospectively to what has taken place in life. And we can begin asking the question, okay, what did I learn? What have I learned? What can I learn? And there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from human suffering. Do you remember in James chapter 1, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials in the manifold temptations. I don't think James is saying there that when we're in the middle of a hurricane that we give thanks for that particular difficulty. But I think what he is saying is once the storm has passed, we can look back and begin to ask, okay, what did I learn? Now James said one of the byproducts of suffering is patience or perseverance. You ever, do you ever pray for patience? You ever pray? 
Well, James said the way you get patience is you go through tough times. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul said, tribulation worketh patience or perseverance. And then he said, perseverance or patience, character. Sometimes we talk about how the things that we experienced in life have been character-building moments. Do tough times sometimes build character? Yes. Is it easy? No. No. And yet, we can learn. And so, in James chapter 1, James said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you might be entire and perfect or mature, lacking nothing. The value of human suffering. One of the byproducts is patience. Another is that sometimes it helps us to reassess our spiritual life. You know, when life was good for the prodigal son, he didn't need his father, did he? Do you remember in Luke 15 when the prodigal son asked for his father's inheritance, went out into that far country, wasted his substance with riotous living? The Bible says a severe famine arose in the land. And what happened? He began to be in war. Why? Because he had spent all. Spent everything he had. Didn't have, didn't have a dime to his name. And the Bible says he came to himself. Sometimes when we face difficult times, it helps us to reassess where we are spiritually speaking. In Psalm 119, the psalmist in the long ago said, it is good for me to be afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statutes. Think about what he's saying there. It is good for me to be afflicted. He can look back and say, okay, because of the difficulties that I have faced in life, I have learned to treasure God's word. Have you known somebody that has faced some tough times in life? And I mean really, really tough times. And they've lived without God. They've not thought about living a Christian life. And then they begin to soften. They begin to think about maybe it's time to put my life back in order. I think that's what happened to the prodigal son. After he had blown his living, his livelihood, his inheritance, and times got tough, you know what? Things are a lot better at home. Sometimes it takes trial and tribulation. Sometimes it takes a major health scare to get our attention. I think that's what the psalmist is saying. It's good for me to have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statutes. Another reason why we can value from human suffering is because it gives us the opportunity to turn our thoughts toward God and to rely upon Him. I read a moment ago Psalm 18. Listen, if you would, to what David said in the long ago in Psalm 18, verse 4, he said, The pangs of death encompassed me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And then he said, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. My cry came before him, even to his ears. Now you think about here is David. 
And he's facing some tough times. And in light of those tough times, what does he do? He turns to God. And really what he's saying is, I'm going to rely on God. Because listen to what he says in verse one. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I'll trust. He said, God is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then in verse three, he said, I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Learning to rely on God. When it's all said and done, when push comes to shove, sometimes the only one we can count on is God, isn't it? When Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh that had been given unto him to buffet him because of the abundance of revelations, what did Paul do? He prayed to God, didn't he? The Bible says he asked God three times to remove that thorn in the flesh. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. You know what God was saying? Paul, I want you to learn to rely on me and me alone. How deep is your faith? I mentioned Job a moment ago. And Job had a lot of questions. Matter of fact, Job had his day in court with God. And God asked him a series of questions. And guess what? Job didn't have the answer. But in the book of Job in chapter 13, verse 15, here's what Job did say. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know what Job's saying? My reliance, my dependence is on God. Look, you may come to a point in time in your life when nobody is there for you. And you don't have anybody to rely upon. You don't have anybody you can depend upon. But I would encourage you to remember you can always rely on God. You can always trust God. And let me tell you what, he will stand by you come what may. David said in Psalm 56, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Trusting God. Living with that trust. And recognizing that he is there for us. I do want to mention again 1 Peter chapter 5, the passage a moment ago. One of the, I think, intrinsic values of human suffering is that we learn to lay our problems and trials and tribulations at the altar of God. In, in other words, we have the opportunity to transfer that baggage, if you please, to take that weight that is bearing so heavily upon our soul and lay it, lay it at his feet. Listen again to what Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. And then think about David in Psalm 55 who said basically the same thing, cast your burden on the Lord and what will he do? He'll sustain you, won't he? Does that mean he can, does that mean we can trust him? Yes, it does. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Learning to rely upon God, learning to turn to God, learning to trust God, and learning to give God our cares. We can go before his throne with the expectation that he will be there for us, that he will answer those prayers as the Hebrew writer said, we can go before his throne and receive mercy and grace. I want to close tonight by simply encouraging you to dig deep, 
take these questions and do some research at home. You know, one of the realities of this life is we're all here together. It's rare to find somebody who is not suffering or who's not faced with some debilitating disease or illness or problem. And sometimes that can open the door to talk to people about Christ. When people are suffering, they need help, don't they? And there are some questions that people are going to have, questions that we looked at tonight. They're going to want some answers to those questions. And in answering those questions, it's very possible that you can lead someone to Christ. You know, Jesus, in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that he left us an example. And the beauty of that example is he knew something about suffering, didn't he? And so when we talk to others, we can talk about a sympathetic Savior who understands our hurts and who will be there with us every step of the way. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love